0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Learning how to do anything sucks, okay? Mm -hmm. The part where you're learning is awful. Mm -hmm. If you have a kid At home, fortunately for you, your daughter chose to do Color Guard instead of learn to play an instrument. But can you imagine the hell we must have put our parents through while we were learning to play? When most kids start learning to play an instrument, it sounds like they're sacrificing animals in their bedroom. Yeah, my my eldest,
3: she started playing trumpet, if I recall, in fifth grade. And then I think by seventh grade, she made the switch to clarinet. And then by ninth grade, she decided... She didn't like playing instruments. And I didn't put up too much of a fight (laughs) for the very reasons you stated.
0: (laughs) Okay, if you're sure. My parents were just like, this instrument is fucking loud. Why are you practicing all the time? And my sister especially hated it because she was just like, you practice all the time. And tubas are not very pleasant to listen to by themselves. No. Bum,
3: bum, bum. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what else do you do? That's your part right there. Oh,
0: funny yeah. enough, speaking of learning new skills and sucking, I Tim, <laughs> my roommate, has this piano playing app. And I, I remember I went upstairs. And so you get points every time. It, it's the coolest thing. It's like they take on all the triggers, the dopamine triggers from Facebook and apply it yeah. to doing something useful. So yeah. you can play these. Like you'll play notes and you'll play chords and stuff. I think it's called Simply Piano or something like that. And I remember sitting down, and I was like, Tim, let me just give it one shot. And 30 minutes later, I was, he's like, when are you giving my piano back? Because it, wow. was, it was super addictive. I was just like, holy crap. But the thing is, you get points each time you try to play something. And it's funny uh. because I realized one thing. So, yeah, there were half notes and whole notes. I nailed all the half notes, and I looked at Tim. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, it makes complete sense as to why I'm struggling with anything that involves more than three or four quarter notes or eighth notes I was like I was a tuba player I never played those <laughs> yeah well I, so I was a featured soloist where I did have to play some really like complex stuff. Yeah. but the band had to follow me in that case so I didn't have to work you know, it was perfect yep, I could yep. feed my ego Soloing is always easier. Yeah. yeah. It, it, ironically. But yeah. So that's the thing, right? Is that part sucks. Same thing on the mountain. Same thing surfing. You take that stupid land lesson. Then you get into the water and the land lesson is useless. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, there's totally. other surfers. There's moving water. There's rocks. There's all these other variables. <laughs> I'm like, none of this shit was happening on land. I'm like, on right. land, it was just like, oh, just move your arms and push yourself up and boom, you're in a wave. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that sounds simple enough doesn't work that way. <laughs> and same thing on the mountain. You could be like the smartest person in the world. Like, I remember trying to explain to my cousin in there, I was like, all right, listen, I'm like, you understand physics, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. Basically, what you're doing is you're going down an incline, and you're turning a board in order to control your speed. Because when you make a turn, you create friction, and friction slows you down. And he was like, I "Was like, does that make sense? He was like, yeah. I was like, so get on the mountain think of it that way. And I realized one thing, that just because you understand that intellectually, it doesn't mean your body is going to respond accordingly.
3: Oh. Intellectually versus physically being able to do something, totally different Totally different.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, and that's the thing about learning anything. What about you? Like, Obviously you made it through business. It doesn't seem like there are a lot of parts that suck to Gap Consulting, unfortunately, based on what you've told me, other than growing pains. but Gap is
3: doing very well for itself. We don't have, we're, we're not on the verge of bankruptcy. We don't have any massive failures. There are uh, things that I'm constantly tweaking, yeah. improving, but that's where we are in our growth as a company. But there were plenty of failures before that. Yeah, no, absolutely. To tie it back to the physical thing, I'm learning hockey now. I'm about six months in, having never ice skated more than maybe twice in my life before, and now I'm on the ice twice a week, taking private lessons, taking group coaching lessons, like every chance I can get, I get out there because it's so much fun
0: okay so this is great like your interpretation so you just said it's so much fun and yet you're going yeah. to the part that sucks which is learning well, yeah. <laughs> here's the
3: thing if you hate doing something if there's no, if you can't derive any joy out of the thing out of the learning process yeah then you should like not to be a, not to be a jerk but like you should probably stop
0: yeah no absolutely like there is no question, right? Like, I think that I really want to look at that. Funny enough, you know what? We actually have a Greg Hartle clip. Do we, do we have a clip for that? We Perfect. do have a clip Let's for go. this. And it's a Greg Hartle clip, which is probably Uh-oh. one of my favorite things. Greg is, like, Greg is like Yoda, basically. He's like Yoda for business. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, Coming Greg. from a non- what you got for us? guy who's never seen Star Wars. All right, take a listen.
2: They were born in a way that they are just going to win no matter what. And so those people are not good models to follow. For the rest of us, what we should be doing is we should be creating a safe environment in which we can be as vulnerable as we need to be to not only hold on to the possible, but to actually increase our chances of the probable. And we don't create those environments for ourselves as a society, as a government, as businesses, as a culture in America. We tend not to create vulnerable environments that allow us to be safe enough to be exposed enough to actually increase our probabilities. So what we do is we, one, look at all these examples of people that don't need that and we try to live like them and then we fail, and then we experience unnecessary suffering. And then two, we hold on. We can't find the safe places to explore our vulnerabilities and our flaws and the fact that it's not probable for us to be like them. What do you make of that?
3: I think Greg has a lot of insights. So I would challenge the fact he's talking about people who were destined to succeed and those who weren't and yet I, my first thought is you were five minutes ago you were telling me about greg growing up having this beat up life having to overcome all this stuff and that sounds to me like someone who is destined to succeed no matter what
0: <laughs> yeah no the thing i think that he makes the reason i brought that clip in was because you mentioned this idea if you're not enjoying doing something yeah the truth is that Oh, you can. It's very rare. I don't know about you, but I've never enjoyed doing something I'm not good at. There are people who do, just that are exceptional at their jobs and fucking hate their jobs. And I'm sorry if that's you, but if you're that type of person, then you're probably making enough money to make a plan to quit and go find yeah. something else. Because truth be told, those people doing that robs the world of their gifts and what they can contribute, in my mind. When you spend your life doing something that you hate, even if you're good at it, you fail at something you don't you succeed at something you don't give a shit about and in my Mitter carol put it really well in his book the wallet journal he said failure in a life of compromise is far worse than failing at something you actually care about I'm paraphrasing there, yeah. but that's what i think is the point there is that one outliers often make terrible role models for success because we're not outliers like chances are Gareth and I are not going to start the next SpaceX or whatever it is and or become the next Steve Jobs as much as that would be cool as shit. Um, but that's just reality. And we, we have to acknowledge that as a part of failure and success, because the truth is that if you try to exceed limitations that are not possible to exceed, for example, Gareth and I going to the Olympics was the example that we talked about before. Even in right. curling, I doubt we would succeed. Uh, we'd more than likely fail, although we get to be on ice, which you might enjoy. Yeah. Uh, see,
3: I have a problem because I really think that I can do anything. And I think this may be something that a lot of entrepreneurs share. And I think this is the part of us that allows us to continually get up after we've gotten the crack kicked out of us by right. like our fourth business. Yep. And we're like, no, nah, this one's going to work. The yeah. eternal optimist. Whereas a normal person, and I'm, I use normal, by the way, not Sweet. favorably. Like yeah. normal, normal just means average. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's positive. Like <laughs> I'm not trying to encourage us to be normal. I think the normal person would be like, dude, you got the crap out of you five times already, you should yeah. probably stop.
0: Look, there's no question about that. And I think that really tees up talking about why businesses fail really nicely. So for those of you who don't know, we had Alberto Savoya, the director of innovation at Google here as a guest who wrote this amazing book called the right it, and
4: this is what he had to say about failure. Take a listen most failures happen not because people don't work hard, not because they're not passionate, not because they don't execute well, but because they're building the wrong product. As I say in the book, make sure you're building the right it before Mm -hmm. you build it. A lot of failures are cannot be attributed to incompetence or lack of desire. Just people pick the wrong idea. And I saw that in my father and in my experience as an entrepreneur, I kept seeing that many times. In fact, I would say that 80% of engineers and product managers, whatever titles you have in most companies, are working with products that, when launched, will fail. Mm. And, of course, I don't like that, training because (laughs) our our most valuable resource to solve all the problems in the world are entrepreneurs and innovators inventors, right? They're the ones that are going to come up with a new solution. And yet, you take this most valuable resource, and 80% of the time, they're going to fail. That's a tough pill to swallow, folks.
3: Yeah. But, but here's my thinking on that. Let's say he's right. I'm, and maybe he has the research to back it up. I well, don't know. Well,
0: evidence of the fact that he has the research I, to back I it. am. So he's
3: upset that 80% of the time it flops. Um, what you need is that 20%. Yeah. So how do we encourage the 80% failure rate to continue? Because I accept all of the premise, all the premises that he stated in his argument, I agree with them. I think the important part is that you allow people to continue so that they can get to the point where they're innovating. Because if I'd given up on step three or four, there would be no gap consulting and there'd be thousands, like tens of thousands of people who are not benefiting from the value that I put in the world today with my company.
0: Yeah, look, this takes us to this whole idea of taking micro risks that allow you to get quick feedback so that you can- Micro risks, bro. I was wondering if you were going to tie this in. I both absolutely love, because the truth is that uh, there's this amazing book, and we have an interview in the archives with the author as well, a guy named Peter Sims, wrote a book called Little Bets. That book was by far one of the most, in my top 10, for books that I would rate, that have helped me build unmistakable creative, that Mm -hmm. I cite for everything we do. And so the premise of Little Bets, funny enough, is based on the idea of, uh, that some of the most successful innovators in the world use to do what they do. And the example that I always come back to, particularly because we're talking to a lot of artists and creators, is Chris Rock. Are you a fan of Chris Rock?
3: I think he's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah. I'm not like his biggest fan, but yeah, he's funny. Yeah, yeah. So
0: funny enough, Chris Rock goes out to stand-up nights or mm-hmm. open-mic nights. To test all like, them like local like tiny local little, little dives. Yeah. So I tell you. So here's the thing, right? If you paid 150 bucks for Chris Rock or whatever the hell it costs to watch him on a national comedy tour, and he got there yeah. and you got there and he wasn't funny, I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty pissed I'd be like that was some bullshit. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're I mean, you're a tough you're a tough guy
3: to please, Rennie. But yeah, yeah I'd be upset yeah, too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Look, I doubt Chris Rock would have a hard time making me laugh. But the thing is that. If you're at an open mic night where you're there for free, and Chris Rock shows up, you're not gonna be like, damn, he wasn't funny. You'll be like, Holy shit, Chris Rock is here. Chris Rock showed up and I laughed at three of his jokes. <laughs> and we're like, that wasn't that funny. But the thing is, who are you to bitch that he wasn't that funny? You're not even paying to be here. And that is what you call a low stakes environment where you test something in a low stakes environment, low stakes situation, kinda like Gareth did with his five dollar ads for YouTube, which we talked oh, about yeah. last week. And the thing about testing things in low-stakes situations is that allows you to iterate. That allows you to get feedback. So what a lot of people don't know is that by the time Chris Rock is on a national comedy tour, every joke that he tells has already been tested in front of an audience to make sure that it's actually funny. Which is why you can't stop laughing during one of those shows. And yet, here he is, a guy who was arguably a master of his craft. Not arguably. The guy's been in movies. The guy's, He's a master oh, yeah. of his craft. Chris Rock is a master of the craft of comedy. And, and even Jerry Seinfeld. There's apparently a documentary in about Jerry Seinfeld where he just goes out and goes to open night nights and tests material. And yeah. the funny thing about that is that when you are testing anything in a low-stakes environment, it frees you of the pressure to be right, to be stellar to wow your audience. Yeah, For example, we started this podcast literally because Sid Savara sends me an email saying, okay, in fact, even before Sid Savara sent me the email, this podcast literally started as a lesson in an online course that I was taking. It mm-hmm. was like conduct an interview to get traffic to your blog. And I was like, mm-hmm. great. So I emailed one student in the course who funny enough had a blog called The World's Strongest Librarian. He's a librarian with Tourette's syndrome, who's a kettlebell weightlifter, hmm. and he was my first interview. And That's it's intimidating fun, and dating. on a lot of six, levels. Six years later, seven years later, I walk into my literary agent's office, and I see a book on her shelf, and I'm like, oh my god, this is surreal. That guy was my first guest on the mistake wow. From the same literary agent. But he told me at the beginning, <laughs> he said, don't underestimate what this is going to do for you. I don't know why he said that. There's no way he could have known but I just kept going. But the thing is, it literally started as I just recorded an MP3 with somebody, uploaded it to my blog, no microphones, no fancy equipment, nothing. Yeah. Like, literally the cheapest equipment you could find, which is why so many podcasters, I think, make the mistake. It's like, I gonna spent thousands of dollars in, you know, oh. on recording equipment, you know, build this fancy Please don't I'm like do Wait, that. you don't have any listeners. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and what happens if you actually yeah. find out that you hate this or you decide to give up on it? Now you're out thousands of dollars. Yeah, so that's one big thing. Small problem. bets, folks. Small, Small bets. bets. Small bets. When you take risk, make failure a lot more manageable because it's inevitable that you're yeah. going to experience some sort of failure, some sort of setback, some sort of issue that is going to either make you question your sanity, make other people question your sanity, or, like Gareth, make your wife want to stab you in your sleep. <laughs>
3: In case you didn't listen to the episode, folks, this is not a habitual thing where my wife tries to stab me in my sleep.
1: But it on this particular every, it day. happens every
3: other night, yeah. On what Freddie's referencing, where, that is the fact
0: you know, that... I, for me, it's just the girls I go on dates with who tried to stab me in my sleep. For I her don't know since which since is wife. worse. Yeah. I don't know which is worse. Exactly. I think
3: it's, yeah, it's pretty bad. I think what he's referencing is the fact that I got a job offer... For twenty five percent more than I'd been making at my previous job, that had laid me off, Yeah. and I turned which it we down talked about last week. Yeah, which we talked about last week. Yeah, just in case anybody didn't pick up the last episode, go back and listen to it. Darn what it. kind
0: of person wouldn't listen to last week's
3: episode? Seventeen-year-olds, seventeen-year-olds, too. <laughs> you gosh darn seventeen-year-olds, we coming for you. <laughs> We just alienated, like, a sliver of your audience who are 17. Sorry, guys. And hey, gals.
0: put some episodes. Make a TikTok and be like, "Shrini's a dickhead. So is Gareth. There you go. Yeah. And then true. you'll learn another valuable lesson. There's no such thing as bad publicity. All you yeah, exactly. To- You're seventeen. H- TikTok. We don't. You'll just be creating <laughs> free press for us. So, get to- yeah. So, we're Dude, encouraging you to Teach us that.
3: how to use TikTok by yeah. getting us bad PR. Does Thank your you. daughter
0: know how to use TikTok?
3: Oh, I'm sure she does. Yeah, I don't quite get it. But... Same, bro. Same. That's but whatever.
0: 100%. Yeah. We're old. Weren't you going to talk about age? Yes. That's a good point. Look at that. Wow. You're finally- Boom! <laughs> it's not <laughs> just you who can do that turnaround. Last right week, you were like, that was, there's no segues. This week, our segues <laughs> are just happening. <laughs> Even though they people are like, why the hell are these guys talking about it? everything that Nobody seems knows. like it? Has, and somehow we're tying it back together. Damn. It all has to do with failure, folks. Look, age is another one of those things that is often a huge mm-hmm. deterrent for a lot of people that prevents them from doing what they want to do, trying the things they want to try. Look, there are certain things you're not going to be able to do at a yeah at past a certain age, and this is why I want Gareth to learn how to snowboard because he's only going to get fatter and older and less capable ah. of being mobile. And so we have a limited time frame Gareth can learn how to limited snowboard. Time, and the right. truth is that I want Gareth to it's snowboard true. for two reasons: one, so that I have somebody to hang out with on his on the mountain, but two, so that way he can pass something on to his daughter and do something with his younger daughter, which she'll basically ski and s- snowboard circles around both of us once we get. But around you there. don't
3: understand. She's going to get on the ice, though. Is the thing. Like I've already got her ice instructor lined up, and she's what? like,
0: You know what? <laughs> what her next gift is going to be is skiing snowboard oh, oh. here."
3: From, From Uncle Srenny, maybe. Uncle is... Is... And
0: then we're going to show – I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to be like, hey, Sophia, now that you're old enough and you have some semblance of logic, I want yeah. you to choose. Which one of these do you think looks more fun and more cool? Here, you get to go and hang out on the mountains and look like a badass. And here, you get to get the shit beat out of you by a bunch of fat guys.
3: What do you Wait, ha- hold on, hold on. Girls mature faster than boys. We all know this because we lived this. Oh, yeah, she's going to be body checking kids, like boys her age, and putting them on their butts on the ice and Either loving every second of it. that she'll be basically
0: like, in the, or she'll be riding park launching 360s thanks to her Uncle Srini. She's <laughs> like, you know what? I think it looks way cooler on video because she's a kid oh. who's growing up with the internet. She's like – how am I going to have any good TikTok videos if people just see me body checking boys? Yeah, that's cool. But do you know how much cooler I'm going to look launching 360s do it at 360s? A Snow park? <laughs> A thousand times cooler. So, yeah, you heard it. We're going we're to get Gareth gonna tough, some guys. skis, ski mask. Like, I, I just need to start bringing <sighs> them one by one, like little ski gear. It's like, hey, Sophia, here's your goggles. She's going to be like, and she'll goggles. what are these for? She won't take them off because she's almost three. Yeah, she's like, see, these are yeah, cool. cool. I'm like, exactly. They are cool. That's why I got them for you. Now we're done. We started with a very intellectual part. We got her books, but now she's getting physically capable of doing really cool, fun things. Besides, yeah. you should see two year olds on skis. They look adorable.
3: Oh, dude. same. I mean, yeah. Two year olds doing anything is pretty adorable. That yeah, is true. But,
0: yeah, Except for getting to turn off the light and throwing a fit. <laughs>
3: yeah. Total well, meltdown because she didn't get to turn off the light the other night. But hey, whatever. Yeah. Here we are. All right. Parenting's hard.
0: So. One thing that I know many of you have heard me rail against is this whole bullshit idea of following your passion, right? Because the truth is that, yeah, Dan Kennedy had this really great thing about passion when it came to business. He said, this is, have to be market-driven. He said, I'm passionate about eating pizza, lying in a hammock, and betting on horses. He's like, even if <laughs> my passion for those things multiplied, nobody would pay me to do them. I mean, what are you passionate about that nobody... Well, other than yeah, hockey. Perfect. Hockey and snowboarding. <laughs> nobody would pay us go. to do either of those things.
3: Oh, my God. People would pay me to not talk about hockey at this point. <laughs> or play. Either play, that or play. So like, yeah. Like, it's,
0: it takes us back to, like, to what Greg was talking about, where probability of that is zero. And passion often is actually one of the major causes of failure. As ironic and paradoxical as that sounds, because right. if you're passionate about something you suck at, it doesn't matter how passionate you are at that thing, you are going to fail. Like, we keep going yeah. back to the Olympics. Look, I love NBA basketball. I think it's amazing. Like I don't watch <laughs> it, ironically, but I think the NBA is, like, the coolest of all the sports leagues i love all the he's wrong but he thinks that yeah yeah of course gareth the hockey player all you canadians out there you know go have a good time it's like robin williams said canada is like a loft apartment above a really great party (gasps) i don't know what that whole thing although although maybe robin williams if he was still alive would rethink that now he'd be like canada is like a great party above a terrible loft apartment with just shit going crazy honestly these days
3: like who would who would not want to live in canada as opposed to the u.s given yeah Uh, who knows i I don't
0: want to alienate your listeners but basically uh... here comes the emails about us being unpatriotic we'll be like (laughs) howard zinn who wrote the people's history of the united states which is the ap american history book that's been banned in american i'm just for
3: any of your listeners who are curious i do have dual citizenship so there's that
0: Great. All right. I can be well, patriotic about both, I'm just saying. Yeah, 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 we're patriotic. Come on, let's be real. There are a lot of things, honestly, that we you would not have been as successful as you are if you didn't live in this country. There are a lot of things that make that possible. That's um, totally true. I literally, speaking of failure, I'm reading a book called Why Nations Fail, and it's fascinating. It talks about how political and economic policy actually determine whether it's possible or not for people to fail within a country in a big way. In a really big way. That's you know, we'll, we'll actually talk at some point. We should do an entire episode on systems, both at the personal level and societal level, because that's like those are two different episodes. Yeah, yeah. Should... We'll do an episode on societal systems. That would be really interesting. Um, mm. But the thing is that passion often gets in the way because passion makes you emotional. It prevents you from being objective. It causes you to take reckless risks. It causes you to make stupid decisions and it clouds your judgment because you are so passionate about something that you can't even recognize that you're actually not right.
4: And as a result, <laughs> oh, wow. that
0: fuels your ego. That feeds your ego. I don't know. Mm. You ever met anybody who just can't accept the fact that they're wrong about something or will never admit them when they're wrong about something? <laughs> That's.
3: Are you asking me about politics right now? Because no, I'm asking me. You can,
0: I have an example of a friend from business school. One <laughs> of my classmates. I started my first attempt at a business with him. Yeah.
3: I'm, I, let's go to your thing because I can All only right. get All so right. I had a
0: classmate who honestly would not ever accept the fact that he was wrong. Literally. Could not even come to terms with the idea that he might be wrong. Yeah. I remember we took an economics midterm Econ at Pepperdine is a joke compared to Econ at Berkeley, so I got a perfect score. Not because I'm some genius, but because I had Berkeley, where I got the C minus at Berkeley equals a perfect score at Pepperdine. <laughs> okay. Just, yeah. And it was funny because he then came to me to ask for my help while studying for midterm. And I told him, I was like, this is how you do it, solve this problem. Then he looked at me and he was just like, yeah, but I could do it this way. I, could do I was like, look, dude, I'm like, <laughs> I got a perfect score. <laughs> <laughs> which ironically that doesn't <laughs> matter for shit but it's not that's not the point we're trying to make here. I was right. like do it your way. I don't really care because it makes no difference for me. If you want to be wrong, go ahead. You're what to do? Way. And like I realized, it took me a long time. I was like that guy's ego is going to be his downfall because part of being able to cope with failure and learn from it is to one accept the fact that you were wrong about something. And take yeah. responsibility for mistakes you could have prevented. Own the fact that you fucked up. It's like, all right, ultimately, when you're a business owner, everything that goes wrong is your fault. Ultimately, yeah, you don't get to blame anybody else. You literally have nobody else to blame. Paul Graham <laughs> did this. this yeah. y Combinator has This is the other podcast that I've listened to multiple times where they took Y Combinator's curriculum and they made it all available as a podcast in this class they taught at Stanford. And I go through that once a quarter. For those of you who haven't listened to it, it's called How to Start a Startup. It's invaluable. Uh, it's basically business school for free. It's worth more than my MBA and it's free. But wow, the thing that always stayed with me was something that Paul Graham basically said. He said, basically, if you think about billionaires, right, or people who are running Google or Mark Zuckerberg, he said every day when... Larry Page wakes up, there's shit that he has to deal with that nobody else can deal with. He's the only person. Not only that, nobody has any sympathy for him because he's a billionaire. True. And that's the reality of this. And that's where passion can get you into trouble because you just don't think objectively. I don't know about you. So passion actually causes a lot of cognitive biases, like cognitive biases or vice versa. Like Cognitive biases actually cause you to do things you're passionate about that you shouldn't actually do? What about you, What you got anything like that that you were like, oh, I'm chased other than your businesses? Cause I know you weren't passionate about those, but like you and I both followed passions to dead ends.
1: Honestly, I think for me,
3: it would go back to relationships. Yeah. Like when I think about like passions that I should have dropped <laughs> or I should have just like, accepted that they weren't gonna go a direction. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about people pursuing a passion to their professional detriment I'm talking about pursuing a passion to your personal detriment which I think is totally relatable because there are several girls in my past that were not good fits didn't bring the right things to the table we were not on the same page and yet I probably wasted many years spending time with these girls yeah. Uh, in relationships or in uh, in dating or what, what, assign your random status here.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Endeavors. So I'll give you a few, a couple of examples. Once I was done with writing audience of one, my, my second book, I didn't have a contract for a third run and I spent a year. I hired my wife, not my wife. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Wait, did I miss a chapter? Yeah, yeah. What happened sorry. here? When is this? Yeah. No wife. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. I hired my uh, writing coach Robin's son in law to help me write a book proposal for a new book. And I poured, I kept pouring money into revising this book proposal and all that. And even on the first attempt, my literary agent said, Shrini, no go. Like, this is not something Penguin will look at and say, this is something we can't say no to. She's like, you got to come up with an idea we can't say no to. And after, I think, nine months, I finally realized something and Seth Godin taught me this in our So he's like, stop sending book proposals. This is a clear lesson. Like, what are you doing? And not only that, the irony of all of that is I forgot the fundamental lesson that was so important was I got my book deal because I didn't, I gave up on the book deal and decided to self-publish. <laughs> and I, and Kickshuk right. was the person who told me, why the hell are you writing book proposals? What actually got you the result before was the fact that you just said to hell with it and self-published and then suddenly that book took off. I'm like, you're right. My most popular book is, ironically, my self-published book. That's the one that has sold tens of thousands of copies. But yeah. I think it, it really speaks to the fact that you can be so passionate about an idea that it can blind you to all the ways oh. that the idea is not going to work. I have a professional example of that, if I may. Yes, please.
3: I'm working on building out a new brand, for anybody interested. It's called Built to Scale.
0: That's right. And am with this a little bit.
3: Yeah, Built to Scale's whole idea is I want to teach people how I grew my consulting business. And in full transparency, I haven't put the effort in to it that I should have because everything is going so well with Gap right now.
0: Yeah, and I I told you like the numerous flaws with the thought process. Oh, you did? I was like, look, I'm like, the problem is that you have a context that nobody else can recreate. Like that matters. Because I know I tried. I literally tried. This is actually something to think about. It's a perfect example of (laughs) applying proven principles in an original context. Even though I did that, so I took Gareth's idea of gap, and for a long time was a, Mas- a Notion fan. One of the big things that really allowed Gareth to dominate the market is that he was first. He was one of the few that existed, and you were good too. And when I tried it with Notion, I mean, there, there were
3: some other folks putting Airtable videos out
0: before me. Yeah, so I wasn't the first, but yeah, you I were was early enough. Early when, by the I time early. I tried to do that with Notion, there were already hundreds of people doing that for Notion. Yeah, there and, was there were a lot of players for yeah. sure, and. It wasn't until maximize your output that I was able to replicate it because now I had a new context Find and, you and I right. stole that context from Nat Eliason who did the same thing for Rome. And I was like, well, Nat Aliason <laughs> did this for Rome. I'm going to take everything I learned from him about Rome. I'm going to apply it to mem, which I like better because the user interface is a thousand times cooler and easier to understand. And I'm going to just see if I can create a similar course. And I did. And it's yep. funny because his course was called Effortless Output. Mine is called Maximize Your Output. <laughs> 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 yeah. Thievery. So, there you go. Latent thievery. Call stealing like an artist is awesome. Stealing like an artist. Time. Yeah. But that as always makes a perfect segue to something incredibly important when it comes to thinking
4: about your business ideas. Take a listen. How do entrepreneurs succeed? They need, you need to invest and test also a lot of ideas until you find one that works but usually what happens and i know because it happened to me because it's human nature you you try to solve a problem you come up with an idea you fall in love with that idea and instead of testing it in the real world you apply confirmation bias love is blind you assume that your idea works and you decide not to test it and you put all your passion on that one egg instead i tell you don't fall in love with the idea, right? Fall in love with the space that you want to, uh, to address, with the problem that you want to solve. So fall in love with the problem, flirt with the ideas. In other words, interview and test many ideas and find out the ones that actually give you good feedback.
3: <laughs> it's, the most, it's the most European uh, perspective I've ever heard. Don't fall in love, just flirt. Flirt with entrepreneurship.
0: <laughs> he makes a good point though.
3: You no, know, in all seriousness, yeah.
0: He's I got mean, a great book. Keep point. in mind, this is a director of innovation at Google who is talking. Oh, I didn't realize that. I was going to ask you, who is that? Uh, yeah, so Alber- the interesting Alberto thing Saboya is. has an amazing book called The Right It, which is all about data-driven mm. decision-making. Love he, it. He, I mean, hell, like he talked, he's the director of innovation at Google. I mean, he knows something. Yeah, he knows something about success. Clearly. But <laughs> no, he made a good point because there was one other thing that you started in between that didn't come up. We're talking about vape, the vape business. So Gareth actually took a oh, course yeah. from one of our own guests, Matan Grafell, who created oh, yeah. this educational uh, platform. I don't even remember what the educational platform was called, but definitely worth checking out. <sighs> yeah, I don't it was basically to, to learn skills. So Gareth, of course, being the, the brilliant guy that he is, took the course. <laughs> And instead of building something that was actually of any fucking use, basically <laughs> he built this website. And then it was impressive because Garrett didn't know shit about computer programming or web development. And nope. he built a website, but it was basically Yelp for rating vape, vape liquids. Yeah. And maybe there was a market there. But to Alberto's point, he fell in love with an idea. Not a problem. Because truth be told, people who vape probably could give two shits about. The ratings because yeah, they they're just going to go try it and decide for themselves. It's not like a restaurant where enough people go there to say, oh, this right. is worth eating at. It's like this liquid is worth vaping and probably somebody – and not only that. At this point, most of those are built into the sites that sell this crap anyways. And this is why I should have never been in that industry to begin with. Yeah. But he makes but, – But this is a really yeah, good to your thing, point, right? Go ahead. So Sorry. So that's one thing that we often – this is how passion blinds us because we yeah. try to create products where there's nothing – We might be passionate about something. That doesn't mean it helps another person. And that is where this whole follow your passion mindset is completely falls apart. Yeah, because if your passion doesn't solve a problem for somebody else that solve a problem for another person that they're willing to pay for, then you cannot monetize that passion. That is the reality of a business. Every business does, this is, so one thing that I noticed is when I look at prescriptive advice, this is a pattern that I just started to observe in myself, is I look at three times where I see this thing show up over and over again. I look, I'm like, if this has been, I don't believe there are many universal truths. I don't think there are any actually, but what I look at is this process called triangulation because it makes the advice that you get a lot more accurate where you say, okay, one person gave me this advice. Okay. Can I find two other sources that have this same advice? And this is the one when it comes to business I've come across over and over again is the idea that you don't build a product, you solve a problem.
3: That's so powerful. I just had a private coaching call today where someone was asking me about how she builds her own consulting practice and I told her, you have to talk to people, you have to find out what their pain is first. And it's one of those things that everyone wants to skip, right? Everybody wants to just get to the part where they build the thing that they think everybody wants. They build the course, they build the whatever. And I said, no, before you do any of that, you have to find out what the pain of your target market is. You have a target market in mind. Cool. How? Where are they hurting, and are they willing to pay for relief? Yeah. Because if the answer to either of those is either I'm not hurting or it's not a big enough pain, but the most important question, no, I'm not willing to pay for it, then you don't have a business. It's done. Stop. Yeah. Pivot.
0: Do something else. Yeah. That's the thing, right, is that I think any business from start to finish goes through multiple pivots, multiple changes. 100%. And- the key thing here is looking at what is working I think what's important is to expose yourself to small failures that don't completely demolish you my, my mm. litmus test is a bit extreme but I'm like if it doesn't lead to jail bankruptcy or death it's probably not as big a deal as you think it is <laughs> I think between th- those are pretty flexible boundaries, look, everybody's going to have some variation, some degree of risk tolerance you're talking about failure
3: then yeah. Is it a big deal to fail? No, like, even unless bankrupt, it leads like, to...
0: Do you know how many billionaires... Shit, the president, the former president of this country has been bankrupt multiple times. Not that's a yeah. good example of how to fail, but... Apparently nobody cares either. Yeah, yeah I mean, you can fail that often and you can find yourself in the White House. If there's anything you learn... Yeah.
3: And you're still idolized by yeah. half of the nation, so exactly. good on you.
0: Yeah. No, honestly, as we like to joke, politics aside, there is a valuable lesson there. <laughs> In that is there? No, there is. Like, okay, here's a guy who's willing to say, you know what? These failures have so little impact on who I am as a person. I'm willing to go and run for president. And not only that, here's the best part. This is the part that most people miss. This maybe is the lesson. Is that <laughs> most don't lesson. even know if you fail. They could give two shits if you fail. Oh. You not know, president of the United States... The only reason yes. his failures are public is because he became... Uh, because he wants Otherwise, to Otherwise, nobody line. would know that he'd failed. People would still be thinking, oh, this guy is a businessman who I want to be like. My dad used to well, say to me when I was young, he's like, you should have been born in Donald Trump's family with your tastes. I think he's... <laughs> he doesn't say that anymore, but...
3: Yeah, hopefully he doesn't say that anymore. Um, th- this is one of my favorite sayings about failure, right? Whenever you try something new, as Srinny was talking about earlier, you have to accept the fact that you're not going to be doing well from the beginning. And... A good mentor and friend of mine, colleague of mine, says you have to get past the suck. You have to get past the point where it's not going to be good. And you have to accept the fact that it's not going to be good when you try something new. The end. Get over it. You're not that important. You're a single individual in a sea of humanity. Like, you're not that important. So allow yourself to fail. No one's going to care when you do. I'll tell you guys... Uh, Yeah, today I run a business that does over a million a year in revenue and it's growing and I'm super happy. But when it started, the first YouTube video I ever put out, it was terrible. It brings tears to my eyes to watch it. Yeah. But if I'd never made that, then I wouldn't be making the videos I make today. I wouldn't have the three, four years experience under my belt to make semi-decent videos or uh, tolerable videos,
0: depending on how good you think they are. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's be you real. have to start somewhere. <laughs> Airtable videos are not exactly the most entertaining things in the world, but they're useful. <laughs> they're not. Um, they're certainly not entertaining,
3: and, and that, that's another thing entirely, right? If I was trying to make a different type of video, cat compilations, I'd suck at it. I don't know what the I don't know what the process is for that. I don't have a process for that I mean, process I mean, it, for making other
0: videos. It It's on the fact that problems are not problems, but they're opportunities more often than not. The funny yeah. thing is, look at the biggest businesses in the world are often solving the biggest problems. Naveen Jain, who's a billionaire, he said, he's like, you want to so- make a- build a billion-dollar business, solve a billion-dollar problem. And he's like, you know, fix education. Give people a way to get food on the planet. Honestly, the closest thing to a billion-dollar idea I ever received, and to this day I regret not allowing this person to attend our event for free, I had somebody who wrote in and had an idea for a nonprofit where she wanted to connect the elderly with single parents to assist them. And I thought to myself, that is a genius idea. That is an idea that has legs because it solves a massive problem. She's like, these are elderly people who have wisdom, who have skills, who have experience, and they can help parents, young parents who don't have any of those things. And I thought to myself, this is an idea we should have said yes to even if this person got to attend for free. But that's the nature of a business. Like that would cause problems and potential failures that we couldn't have anticipated. And that's the the reality. I've seen projects to the point where I should have abandoned them. And that is really about ultimately loss aversion. We often stick with something too long because we think, oh, I've done this for so long. I should just stick with it. And sometimes it just makes sense to call it quits. Like you need to know when it doesn't make sense to continue with something. Like Gareth realizing that nobody gives a shit about reviews for vape liquids. Yelp (laughs) Yelp for vape, vape liquid nicotine. Not a billion dollar idea, not a problem that... It doesn't really solve much of a problem for anybody. But yeah, when we thought about this episode, I think that it came up organically. And part of the reason it's probably the longest of all the episodes we've done is, one, we stopped for a couple of breaks for wine. Had to put that out there because, as we mentioned at the beginning, the Unmistakable Creativity Hour is not substance-free. On a totally unrelated side note, I ended up living in a quote-unquote substance-free dorm at Berkeley, which is an oxymoron in and of itself.
3: That's absurd. They have substance-free dorms at Berkeley?
0: (laughs) I don't know how I ended up in there, of all places. Probably good that I did, (laughs) seeing as the fact that I failed miserably as a student. Um, Was it actually adhered to? I ran a bar from under my bed, No, I was literally the freshman bootlegger for Berkeley. So I have, it's, what was that? There's some movie where, maybe it was Beverly Hills Cop, where Eddie Murphy's like, he's like, I've fractured an occasional law or two on occasion. Wow. Maybe three, maybe four, maybe five. Any law enforcement people listening to this, I promise I didn't do anything that would cause any serious harm to society. Uh, And at this point, you couldn't prove it anyways. But, yeah. I could, just based on the fact that I said it, but no, I had a, uh, I had a older floor mate who had a truck and when I got my financial aid money, good example of stupid decisions that you'll regret, I had a lot left over and I thought to myself, you know what? I need a stash of booze in the Substance Free Dorm. So I went and I got a crate, one of those like treasure chest type things. I also, as a bartender, appreciate this. I looked at all the different types of drinks that bartenders make at bars and I pretty much had the equivalent of a full bar under wow. my wow in college. I had my freshman year in college. And then impressive. my floor mates, talking about a failure here, decided to write a birthday card making all sorts of jokes about the fact that I drink as much as I do. My mom found that card. And you know what I told her? I was like, they made all those jokes because I don't drink.
3: And <laughs> did she believe it? She did. You know what? She like did, that, didn't she? Say-
0: I think she bought it enough to let me off the hook. I'm pretty sure she knew I was full of shit. Yeah. Doesn't... Listen, if my, listen, the thing if my about daughter parents, goes parents, off to college and she doesn't make intuitive. some stupid mistakes... Yeah, trust me. Like, we'll, you, we'll wrap this up with one final failure, which was my attempt to get my parents stoned. What? Look, here's the thing. We talked about the fact that this was not a substance-free episode... Like, Joe Rogan smoked weed with Elon Musk. Come on, we're just drinking wine.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Among us. I don't think
3: Dr. Rao wants to be dragged through the mud, but we're going to take him anyways.
0: He's actually going to... No, actually, he won't be left out of this, but... No, okay, so here's what happened. So my mom had surgery, and, yeah, you want to talk about another failure, which is the healthcare system. She was (laughs) complaining that the medication she was taking was causing, like, nausea, it Was like, like, making her blood or whatever. And I looked at her, I was like, you know, I help with that? And she's and she said, what, it was like, medical marijuana. A little thing of weed. And then she told me, she was like, do you smoke marijuana? Is that what she <laughs> Yeah, like, yes, I do. No, I looked at her and I said, I went to Berkeley, what do you think? She's like, we're not idiots, we're your parents. We've found your drug paraphernalia before. That's called failure to cover your tracks folks for you 17 year olds out there you know, <laughs> that's to your bring story it no so anyways this is a true story i had like, I got one of those nice wooden hand-carved boxes from india my mom said like, do you need anything from india a visit i was like yeah can you bring one of those like nice hand-carved jewelry boxes for like, my drug paraphernalia pretty much all that was in mine was a bunch of weed and literally i came home and i was like i was gone on a trip and I came back and I'm like oh shit they had the car clean and they found this because it was Uh-oh. left under the seat again 17 year olds cover your tracks that's what we're trying to teach you here this is how you don't fail with your parents is by covering your tracks when you do something that they would not approve of and I was well over 17 at this point right? mm-hmm. so they fi- a translation of-
3: he was 34
0: yeah exactly and so <laughs> what we're trying to tell you is learn these lessons before we did That is the point. That is why we're picking (laughs) on you so much. You seventeen-year-olds, don't be idiots like us. Like we're literally trying to actually help you. You will thank us fifteen years from now. You'll avoid. These guys aren't gonna watch
3: anymore. They're they're
0: not listening. They're like no. no, Avoid conflicts with your parents. Trust me, seventeen-year-olds. This is gonna be the best advice you ever get. Maybe that's what we should. We
3: lost them at. We don't know how to TikTok.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's (laughs) that's where they tuned out. They're like, what? We not TikTok. Boomers. Here's the thing. So that was an epic failure on numerous (laughs) levels. My mom basically told me, she's like, okay, she saw the rolling papers and I basically lied and said those are for cigarettes. And you know what she told me? She said, if you're going to smoke, smoke filtered cigarettes. Don't roll your own. They're bad for you. (laughs) She left it at that. That's not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anyways, when she brought up that whole medicine thing, I said, medical parent wanted help. And she was like, we're not idiots. We're your parents. And so I convinced my parents that getting stoned would be a good idea. All right? Cool. And I thought this would be a lot of fun. My sister was mad because she had to work and she couldn't be there for this. (laughs) And she wanted to be there. Okay. I was going to say, like, why is your sister mad? Of course, my parents didn't like the idea of smoking, so I gave them edibles. Okay. And for those of you who have taken edibles, edibles can be very potent. And (laughs) I remember... Did you edibles? overdose your parents on edibles? Yes, really. Yes, that's, so what? I told you it ties perfectly to wrapping up this episode on failure. It was a massive failure because they're
3: brand new to this. So you give them like a tiny. No, half a gummy.
0: So look, uh, there was these square gummies, and when I went to the dispensary, oh. the guy said, "Cut them into fourths." You say you take a fourth of those, you'll be fine. And I took yeah. a fourth of one, and I was like, this stuff is amazing. I was watching the <laughs> TV show Parenthood, and I nearly started crying. I'm like, this is by far. So- Wait, that's not normal?
3: Because I do that sober.
0: Yeah. Parenthood is <laughs> one of those shows that brings you to tears. It's a beautiful show. Yeah, like Shows like that, really. It is. Really, uh, it is. That, that, you, you, that actually gives an idea for an episode of making your content resonate emotionally. That's what Parenthood does. Brian Grazer and Ron Howard are geniuses. They do that with every show. They bring you to tears. But anyways, yep. I was watching this scene where the, one of the characters tells the rest of the family she has cancer, and I'm like sitting here crying, and I'm like, wow, this is some really good weed. So, when my parents didn't want to smoke, I was like, alright, cool. Here's the deal. A couple of parameters. Make sure that we have enough food on hand. Yeah, my mom's like, we got plenty of food. I was like, it's true, it's an indeed household. I'm like, trust me, we're gonna need more food than you guys think. So, everybody takes these <laughs> edibles, and uh, a okay. quarter gummy. Okay. And an hour later, you do mind, you've been to my house when there's family there. It's just oh, yeah. oh, perpetual chaos. Nobody goes yeah. upstairs or does anything. Suddenly I look around, it's me and my cousin and her husband. My parents went upstairs while we have guests? That's Uh-oh. weird. Yeah, so I go upstairs thinking, yeah, oh, maybe they're upstairs having a good time because they got stoned. More power to them if they did that. And then I go into... The bedroom, and my mom looks at me. She's like, "Sick, having thrown up."
1: Oh. She's just like,
0: "Please don't do this." I was like, you really think I would do this if this was the outcome? Yeah. You know, clearly, unlike last week's lesson on hangovers, we this is a lesson I learned early on, where I was like, "Yeah, why would I do that to myself?" That's how it ended. My dad. Yeah. Looks at me. I was like, "You okay, Dad?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, I got a little sick, but he's like, I'm fine. He's like, you're right. I'm really hungry. Go downstairs and get me some apple pie and ice cream. <laughs> so the lesson, folks, here is don't overdose your parents because that usually will lead to failure.
3: Wow. That was dark, bro. I didn't think you were going to go there. I didn't I know your parents such a so hard. They're
0: fine. Nobody died. I, they're fine. And the next day, one of my friends came over and was like, you're an idiot. You gave your parents the same dose that you normally take that is a fair point like you're a veteran at this like, point that was a failure, a cut failure. It in that half. was a failure of judgment on my part yeah
3: cut it in half poor guys and now they're ne- yeah that was like a that was a one opportunity
0: right like i know if that had been a good been totally opportunity down like they would have been like literally that's what I'm saying. how great it would be to have all that oh, indian food and to be able to just be stoned all the
3: time you guys don't understand You go over to the Rao family and you get some good Indian food. It's, like, it's life-changing. All right. Imagine if your mom, like, tripled every recipe because she was baked every time. (laughs) I'm about it. Let's make it happen. Let's go.
0: This actually is a perfect way to tie this full circle. Okay? Amazingly enough, my mom's cooking is a perfect example of learning from failure. (laughs) It is. Okay. I made a documentary, and... Every woman oh. in my The women in my family are all amazing cooks. This is just an Indian thing, I think. I don't know what it is. And the funny thing is none of them learn from mothers. They're just inherently in love with cooking. Food is a big deal. Like We don't have recreation activities, we just eat. <laughs> yeah. It just, <laughs> has its pros and cons.
1: Pros but, and cons.
0: I remember asking my mom. I asked my mom, and for those of you who want to see the documentary, it's called Zero <laughs> Recipes. Just do a search on YouTube for Zero Recipes Srini. But I made this documentary uh, when I got the iPhone. Another example of things that I didn't know how to do, just learned by trying. And one of the things I asked my mom was, tell me about the first meal that you ever made for my dad. Mm. She made this South Indian stuff called ukma, which is crap. Personally, I think most South Indian food sucks, which I'm sure I've offended all the South Indians. But I'm South Indian, so I can say that. Honestly, there's these things called idlis, which are steamed rice cakes, which are the worst contribution that Indians have made to the history of food. And now that I've alienated the entire state of (laughs) Nadu, I'm sorry, but it at (laughs) least suck. Anyway, so my mom makes this stuff called Upma, and she forgot she didn't read the package. So the package, the thing already had salt in it, so she added additional salt. And so my dad ended up eating it, and it was, like, super salty. Keep in mind, this is a woman who can cook, who can rival, like, a Michelin chef, probably in terms of. I've eaten. Skills. I've eaten her food. Yeah. Yeah, she this literally okay. can She's rival amazing. a Michelin chef. But today, this is, this is how it started. That, this is the genesis. Was that literally her the, first meal? Yeah, the first meal she made for my dad was oh, basically okay, okay. overdosed with salt, like just way too much. Salt. Oh my gosh! And Mama, who was also an incredible cook, my cousin, yeah. When she first came here, for some reason, somebody didn't label containers, and she accidentally replaced sugar with salt when it was supposed to be one, and her husband just ate it. And she's another person who's like an amazing cook and she's a person who experiments constantly and tries new things. And that ultimately is what this is about. Because when you try something new the possibility that you will fail is inevitable. When you learn something new, you're going to suck at it. You're not going to be good at it. And until you can come to terms with that and accept the fact that in the real world, there are no right answers. And 17-year-olds, especially 17-year-old Valley parents, have no idea what the hell they're talking about. You yeah. darn kids! You cannot learn from your failures. <laughs> Gareth, anything else to add here?
3: Bro, we've exhausted these poor people.
0: I know. Let's wrap. Particularly the 17-year-olds, I'm sure. If 17-year-olds has the attention span to get through these two hours... Kudos to you. You're well ahead of ninety of percent. I feel
3: like we made this, this episode in spite of my daughter. She's she's gonna Google me and be like, "Yeah, no, my dad's a jerk. I'm going to college for sure."
0: Yeah, I'm going to college and I'm smarter than my dad, which she might be. Oh yeah, more power to her. I welcome her to prove it. Bring it on. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, (laughs) This, I realize, has been unusually long. We don't normally do episodes this long, but this is a broad subject, and we had a lot to talk about. Learning how to fail is critically important if you want to be successful. In fact, maybe that's the title of the episode. Why learning how to fail is critical to your success. Because if you learn how to fail, then you're probably a lot less likely to fuck things up when you succeed. What Did a poetic poetic way to Did people know how,
3: though? Did we help people know how? Or does this need to be another episode? How to recover from failure?
0: No. Look, we've given you a wide <laughs> range of things. No. You know why I don't want to do a how-to? I'll tell you why. Yeah. For the very reason we talked about. I could tell you everything you want to know about how to be a failure. How to fail and learn from your failures, which we've tried to do. But you're going to come back to this with lessons that neither Gareth and I know or have experienced. Because every situation is unique. And you can listen to this all you want. You can play it three hundred times, and guess mm-hmm. what? You're still possibly going to end up starting a lemonade stand that ends up becoming a distribution <laughs> arm for a cocaine cartel. For
3: Fidel Castro? Oh no, who <laughs> was it? Pedro Pablo Shoot, Esco. who's the narco's guy? Shoot. All Pablo right, that's Esco who I meant. God,
0: who's that guy? Dead, unfortunately, but fortunately, but yes. Wow. That is the point: is that this you is can plan everything and have the most perfect plan and do everything that you can to avoid a failure, but you could still end up with a lemonade stand that becomes a yep. distribution arm for a cocaine cartel. <laughs> I didn't think there's a more perfect way to wrap the show. What about you, Gareth? Oh, God, we need to end it. End it. End it. All right. Don't we sell do, drugs, folks. We, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> you will... That's the boundary. That is the boundary right there. Bankruptcy, jail, or death. Other than that... You have a lot of room to to play. I think those are pretty loose restrictions. So go out and try things. And by the way, for those of you who are 17, guess what? There's no better time to fail because you have absolutely nothing Mm. to lose. Your parents are covering your rent, putting a meal on the table. They're taking care of all the stupid things you do, just like Gareth and I did. And for all you parents out there, we're sorry that we're encouraging your kids to go out and do stupid things. But better You'll they be thankful in the long or, run. Better they do it now when you can clean up yeah. the mess they make rather than when they're 20-something and you have to go and get them out from behind bars. That's no good. Woo. So we will wrap the show with that. And let us know what you thought of this episode. As always, if you're new, click subscribe. By the way... All the clips that you just heard came from interviews that are in our archives. Go back and look for them. We'll be sure to include links in the show notes. But there's a lot of things you can learn from failure. The most important thing is that you learn something from whatever failures you experience in this life. Because learning from your failures is the key to succeeding at everything.
1: Hold up.